Hello everybody, good morning, and welcome to For the Record episode number 43. I am a little bit loopy and still needing more caffeine because I was at Guns N' Roses last night and they were fucking phenomenal. Um, I... I didn't expect the show to be like that. It was, I am clearly I never saw them in, in the 80s or the 90s or at any point in that time, but they were completely on time. They played for almost three hours. I, I, I still can't believe that Slash is that amazing of a guitar player. I, it, it blew me away. All of them were on it. It was great. Um, at t Park actually did a really good job of putting on the show, so uh, that was pretty rad, and I am totally on a Guns N' Roses kick right now, uh, but they were, again, they were fucking phenomenal, just like our guest, eh, segue, there we go, alright, anyway, um, our next guest on this episode was, I was extremely thrilled to have this guy on, um, this is uh, comedian Jimmy Pardo. I I couldn't fucking believe I got this. Um, I got e- emailed about this. I, w- I was stoked when I saw that name. Genuine both comedy and music nerd. Uh, the conversation was heavily based around music. Um, I didn't expect the direction to necessarily go in, in, in that route, but it, oh my god, it was awesome. It was so cool. Uh, I got really inspired to check out some of the other artists that he was telling me about in his, um, in, in the episode, and it's just been, it's been a nice little dis- musical dis- rediscovery and, and new discovery of things, because I'd listened to, I'd heard songs from, like, Iron Maiden and stuff like that before that we talk about, but never really dove into them that much, so I'm, I've, it, it's been, it's been a lot of fun since we did that episode, um, Jimmy will be performing at Doc's Lab in San Francisco on on Saturday, August 20th. It's going to be a bit more of an experimental show. We talk about that a little bit towards the end of the episode, but it's basically, it's that venue is kind of a testing ground for comedians to come and do material. Jimmy does a lot of crowd work in his act, so it, it's going to be a very funny, um, fun-filled evening. There's three other comics on that bill, I believe, if I read it correctly. Um, it's just going to be a fun night. So if you're in San Francisco, you're looking for a good night of comedy um, and just looking to have some fun, um, I would definitely check out Doc's Lab uh, and go see Jimmy Pardo. Um, without further ado, here's episode 43 of For the Record with the one and only Jimmy Pardo. Jimmy, thank you again for being on the show. Take care. happy when I got um, when I saw your name on the email pitch um, uh, I've heard your stuff before and it, it's um, really good to talk to you <laughs> great my, well my pleasure of course man um, well one of the things I have to say that I think really um, 
I think that really interested me about you is um, from listening to the Never Not Funny podcast and things like that, you talk a lot about um, music and that's while the site that I have is definitely and the podcast and stuff is branching out to film and television and comedy and all that, all that great stuff. It's very much rooted in music. So, um, oh, great. yeah, so I thought that was, uh, we do, I have a lot of music guests and now I'm kind of reaching out to other comedians and things like that to come on the podcast and kind of help branch it out if that makes sense um yeah sure of course it does yeah um i was very curious to know so there was uh, one of the things that i thought was really cool was how you did you interviewed chicago so you got to interview your favorite band is that correct uh yeah i mean i don't know if i interviewed them i i you know i uh i hung out with them and i and i've met them several times over the you know the years of me uh uh you know, bothering them at concerts. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I was lucky enough to, um, uh, I was asked by a filmmaker named Peter Bardini to um, be interviewed for the uh, Chicago documentary that will be coming. I, I think it's coming out soon, later on this year. Uh, it's it's already made the rounds uh, to the uh, film festivals and stuff and did very well. Um, but I have one line I ended up being, being interviewed by, which was very flattering when I got the call. Like, hey, they want to interview you, uh, you to be part of this Chicago documentary. And it's like, well, Jesus, how neat is that? You know, they're my favorite band. And to, you know, be part of it even for a second is very thrilling um, uh, to be part of their career in any way. Yeah. So I got interviewed, and they and they used one line. Uh, he and Peter uh, used one line of mine. Uh, I'm basically on screen for 30 seconds, but it was it was a funny line. And it kind of summed up their career and, and kind of summed up life. It was like a really I, – I improvised this line, uh, basically that – without quoting the line, that Chicago was the soundtrack of my life. And uh, when it comes up in the movie, it gets a big laugh because of the way that – and then I comment on it and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Um, <laughs> so cut to – I'm at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, the AV Club was kind enough to send me there to cover it uh, for them. And um, I was going to go anyway because Chicago was getting inducted, and my buddy Pat Francis is a huge Cheap Trick fan, and they were getting inducted as well. So we figured, what the heck, our two favorite bands oh, yeah. are getting inducted at the same time. Let's fly to New York and go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So absolutely, uh, the induction. So the AV Club sent me there uh, to cover it for them. So I had backstage passes, and I was hanging out backstage. And then Peter Cardini, the filmmaker, saw me and said, uh, hey, uh, do you want to come and say hello to the band? I know they'd like to see you. And then I went and said hello to the band, and they, it was, Jared, I'm not kidding, they acted it as if I made their career. They were like, we're so glad you could share this day with us. What are you talking, what? And, <laughs> That's so awesome. Uh, 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 Lee Lochnane says, uh, the, the trumpet player says, hey, thanks for everything you've done for us. And uh, the manager says hello and thanks me. It's like, Guys, I, I said one line in your movie that gets a laugh. That's it, man. That's um, so cool. But That's, I think it speaks yeah. to uh, it, it speaks to the fact that like these are guys in their seventies who have been around a long time, and they you know they appreciate the support of somebody you know still you know the support that I give them, and um, and they're just they're nice guys. So to say I, I know this is a long story, but to say that I interviewed them isn't really accurate as much as it was. I spent time with them at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Fair enough. No, I think that's awesome. Um, that God, that's I would if that happened to me with my favorite band, like I would, I'd probably piss myself. I wouldn't even know what to say. So that that's that's awesome. It was pretty neat. Uh, but first of all, who's your favorite band? Um, 
It's a, always kind of a two-way tie between Green Day and um, a band called My Chemical Romance. Have always kind of been there for me in my uh, youth, and they just kind of both those bands just kind of stuck with me. <laughs> uh, well, I think you'll have a chance to meet those guys. I think uh, I feel positive that, that that it will happen for you. And uh, uh, I did run into. I, I, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, the lead singer of Green Day. Uh, his name is what, sir? Oh, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong. Yeah, Billy Joe. So I, when I was working at the Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, uh, I was on the phone with my wife, and she was, you know, she's a huge Green Day fan. Awesome. And, um, so I'm, I was on the phone with my wife in the in the green room, and then I was leaving the green room so that I wasn't going to bother people. Yeah. And as I turned the corner, Green Day was the guest that day, <laughs> uh, and I turned the corner, and uh, uh, the, uh, Billy uh, and myself basically bumped into each other and I oh, instead of saying excuse me I said I'm on the phone with my wife she loves you and then kept walking <laughs> it's like that's right. my green day cool. sounds good <laughs> and it's yeah. like, all right we're gonna go play now <laughs> um no uh, exactly but, but good for you sir yeah exactly um well no it's it's so interesting so I've I've m- like very briefly met a couple of them thus like thus far i in, i actually got to interview one of the guys in mcr for this podcast which I, I mean they're broken up now but i thought it was really cool when i was like wow oh yeah right. that's neat yeah so it was really fun and it was really nice so i'm hoping i live out in oakland right now and they all of the guys live around here so i'm hoping hoping one day we can get him to come on the show i think it'd be really fun um particularly yeah, with like new music and things like that um one of the things that was interesting it was it, with Chicago, they were never a band that they're never a band that I really um, dove in much into or anything. But we actually getting the interview with you really kind of inspired me to do this. So we do a feature on, um, or I do a feature on the site that's called it's I don't know if this is a working title. It's called Discography Explored. So basically, I'll go and over a period of time, I'll take a band, I'll listen to their full discography. And then I will go and do, like, just their basic just studio album discography. And then I will go and learn a little bit about the history, what kind of they were talking about with music or, like, what they were doing with their songwriting, what they were doing at that period of time in their career, et cetera, et cetera, all that, all that fun stuff. Um, and so I definitely want to do that with Chicago after kind of reading about your love and hearing a little bit more about what you thought. I always like hearing about people's favorite bands, so I thought that was really cool to hear about kind of where you were coming from with that. So you, have you done that yet with Chicago, or did I misunderstand? You're about to do that. Oh no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm about to do that. I'm um, they're on my list. I have an ever-growing list of all these different bands, but um, I just wanted to say that I think it's um, it was it was a bit of an inspiration. I always like hearing about people's favorite bands, so I thought that was awesome. Well, the, the thing about Chicago, I'm glad, hey, I'm glad I can inspire you. The thing about them is. Uh, you've got a daunting task ahead oh, of you yeah. because they've oh, got yeah. I looked. <laughs> 20 studio albums. Yep. You know what I mean? So, yep. <laughs> uh, and you know what? Some are great. So, I mean, some are some are classic and and phenomenal and you know five stars and some are one stars and uh, you know to be I think uh, a real fan admits when a, an album isn't great and uh, you know, without agree. being a negative jerk. Yeah. Um, but even the negative, even the ones that I think are one star, you know, at one point had an important part of my life, and uh, you know when it came out, or at least when I discovered it, like like Chicago 14 uh, used to. I'm not gay. I, I, if people ask me what, what's your favorite Chicago, well, I would say Chicago 14, and I would um, mainly because just where I was in my life of listening to music and how it affected me with either girlfriends or school or life, 
And, you know, like anybody else, I'm not unique. Um, but now when I go back and listen to Chicago 14, it's like, dang, this is tough. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there, there's some good songs on there, but for the most part, it's like, oh, yeah, they every review I've ever read where it says, boy, Chicago was at a tough time, they, didn't, they weren't really sure what they were doing. And I would always go, they knew exactly what they were doing. These songs are great. How dare you? And now I really go, hey, those reviews are pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like favorites are always rooted. Like, because I've had this talk with other people before, Will. They'll say, like, um, they've said to me, like, I love this album, even though that it wasn't the best by the band. And I feel like favorites are rooted very much in sentimentality rather than like, I mean, yeah. the, the greatest band in the world is out there right now. We don't know. I mean, it's still very subjective. Nobody really knows who it is, but you can tell that there's like, there are bands that can play better than Green Day. Sorry, Green Day, even though they're fan, I think they're fantastic musicians, but at the same time, they're my favorite because they're, there's a sentimental connection to that that I have with no other band, much like you in Chicago, much like um, pretty much any other band out in out on the planet so i think i think that's perfectly said yeah well uh what you just said was perfectly said i agree with you oh no sorry <laughs> what you were saying about um <laughs> oh, uh, no, i'm kidding i'm, I'm screwed around Go oh ahead. okay god <laughs> that's the one thing that's always interesting I know, it's rough. a telephone's always rough you never know what's yeah what's exactly exactly yeah that was that was um yeah, telephone is always, but at the same time, being out in Oakland and not being out in LA, it's always a little bit harder um, because, of course, uh, yeah. So you gotta. I kind of had to. For well, for a while, I wanted to do the podcast where it was like, oh, they all have to be in person, and then they give me the schedules of people, and I'm like, so it all has to be over the phone <laughs> sometimes yeah, because yeah, they just yeah. don't work. Um, uh, who are some of what I was very curious to ask you? Everybody has that one favorite band, but. Are there? Everybody also has those bands that they love that are kind of right behind them, if if that makes sense in in terms of the the fan favorite mentality. Who um who are some of your fa- other favorites, if that makes sense? Well, uh, you're right. It, it, I, I don't even know how to set this up because it's such a different world. So Chicago is number one. Number two is Iron Maiden. Awesome. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I put I, I paused because of what a ridiculous uh, statement that is, um, <laughs> and then I admit that I'm uh, you know I'm a, I'm a, a corporate rock guy. Although I, you know I very much love this the, a singer songwriter named Ellis Paul. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard his stuff. Okay, he um, is he's uh, terrific. Uh, uh, e L L I S and then last name Paul P A U L, and he's got a you know he's, he's got a dozen plus albums out he's just a he's a folk guy a uh, singer songwriter you know goes around at those coffee shops and stuff like that around the country and uh has won many awards and he's he's terrific so he he's gone like it, it, i just have these you know again chicago iron maiden and then i love corporate right i admit that i love journey i think steve perry's got the greatest voice in the world um and then you know i, I love the band out of the bay, the bay area actually got wire train out of the 80s they were uh, a band that has stayed with me over the years um and then, you know, Sticks, and, you know, uh, to a lesser extent, but I like them, Ario Speedwagon. Um, you know, I like, you know, Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne and, you know, uh, Meatloaf and, you know, uh, whatever. But, I'm, but the, nice. I'm looking at my wall to see uh, The Knack. I used to love The Knack when they were – Peter. I'll tell you what I'm discovering more and more is Peter Frampton, who I loved growing – I loved Peter Frampton growing up, but I didn't think I understood how, just how great Peter Frampton was, and so I'm kind of rediscovering him. Um but if I had to do top five, Jerry, you know, it would be Chicago, Iron Maiden, Ellis Paul, uh, Journey, 
and uh, you know, I, I, I don't know sticks. I, I I don't know if sticks makes the top five. That seems to, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Very nice. No, that's good. Uh, that, that's a good. That's a good top five. I um, did you go and see um? One of the things I remember from uh your podcast was the there was there was a comment that you made. You'll you'll go to any concert and at, like anywhere, no matter what it is, and you'll. Yeah, you, uh, you wanted to, you'll want to buy a T-shirt or um, it, it, it was something along the yeah, lines yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you? Uh, I, yeah. I did go through that phase. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you happen to uh, go? There was a tour because just from what you told me with your five favorite bands, there was a tour. If I'm correct, it was Journey, Sticks, and Ario Speed. I think it was Ario Speedway. I may be thinking of another tour, but it was. Oh no, it was Journey Foreigner and Night Ranger. That was what it was. Um, I don't know if uh, that. But tour- you know what? I think you're right. That wait, was it? Yeah, it was Journey Sticks. I think it was Journey Sticks and Ario Speedway. They they came to the uh, the forum. Uh, so I think you're not wrong about that grouping, at least for a few shows. Yeah, um, there was something like that because I remember. I mean, those bands usually. What I've noticed is that they will kind of they'll all kind of rotate and they'll all kind of jump on the tour. Usually, Journey will headline and then they'll kind of um, jump around in terms of like main support and opening sets because they're all kind of within that. They're all kind of within that era. But um, yeah, I was just curious if you'd ever if you'd gone to that show. I unfortunately didn't get to go. <laughs> Uh, I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen Journey in every incarnation with, you know, Steve, uh, Steve Perry. And then uh, I saw Steve Jerry when he was a lead singer. I saw Jeff Scott Soto when he was a lead singer. I've seen now Elnar, uh, Arnel Pineda. Uh, so I've seen them. I will, I'll pretty much see them every time they come to, you know, the L.A. area. Nice. Um, we we saw them, too. It was, uh, speaking of Peter Frampton, it was uh, Journey, John Waite, and Peter Frampton. We saw that. Wow, uh, that would have been a show. That was that was a great show. Yeah, that seems like it would be an awesome show. It was one of those ones too where Peter Frampton was the he was the opener, and you know he goes on at seven o'clock where it's you know, daytime and there's thirty people sitting there because uh, it was an outdoor show, and uh, I always feel bad for that guy. You know, for the, whoever has to go out first on that three man bill and, oh, yeah. on an outdoor venue. They, um, and then of course you know. Then everybody gets excited when it's, uh, you know, I think he yeah, was John. Was it John? Wait, wait, that doesn't sound right. But I know it had to be because Neil Sean came out and played with them uh, because of the um, the bad English connection. Uh, yeah, who cares? It's not going to change my life. <laughs> figure this out. No, um, no I, I feel you on the, the opening act thing. It's always like, even if it's a big band bill, like where there's, so like whether there's just great talent people when the sun is still up they're still filtering in it's they're kind of playing yeah. to a crowd of people that are just kind of all uh not necessarily on their cell phones but just talking and just kind of amongst it's it's always a weird situation like even when i i've been to shows like that or they're just all, or even worse they're all just kind of sitting down and they're like the fuck is going on here and they're just like totally phased out of it and not even like not even into the show and i'm like come on you're watching something so great uh you know it, it's uh, I, uh last year my buddy uh, matt belknap who's the co-host of my podcast he and i went to the um now grab this after everything i've just said we went to see pitbull and kesha was opening i've seen and... that tour i was at the, i um it wasn't last year for me but it was um it was a while back i photographed that tour <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that true? Yes, that was um, that was a fun and show. <laughs> it was a great, and then, but to, to speak to what you just said, of you know, Kesha opened, and at the Hollywood Bowl anyway, you know, it, again she goes on at seven o'clock. It was still yeah, 
bright sunshine. She, it was basically like she was doing a nooner in a park. Yeah, pretty and much, exactly. <laughs> I felt bad for her because at the at the I mean I mean listen, make no mistake. If there were fifty thousand people there, you know, uh, thirty five thousand were there for Pitbull and fifteen were there for Kesha, but yeah. still. When you look out and you only see 15,000 in that big of a venue sitting and caring, it has to be a little like, oh, what the, why am I even doing this? Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was uh, – she was great. I, I, for whatever reason, she – I uh, I don't know if it's because she uh, – you know, for, uh, the persona or whatever, but, yeah, I, but I even dig the songs. I, I, I enjoy a, a Kesha. Yeah, no. I mean, there's there's always. I I'm I mean, I'm very rooted in rock and within that. I'm I'm pretty much I, I switch between like rock and um some like electronic dance music, but I like pop. If they're if if it's if it's catchy and it's fun, I will completely go for it. So um that yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, and that's what she is. And, and back in the uh, you know you know when I grew up in the '80s, you know you know a lot of it was exactly what you just described, like you know Cindy Lauper. You know, on on paper looked ridiculous. You know, in the, in the lineup of people that I enjoyed, but you know, if you listen to this, you know, that first she's so, so unusual album, uh, it's you know from start to finish, it's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah, they've been. Um, uh, I, I've been. I've I've been exploring a little bit more in terms of like the the pop side and uh, things like that, but not like not the. The more modern stuff, because I mean, I hear that all the time on like the radio and things, but I kind of started to like, where did this all kind of come from? Like, where did this kind of start with? So Cindy Lauper hearing like, I, I mean, they'll generate Apple Music playlists that are like Cindy Lauper and Madonna and uh, like Michael Jackson and like all, all that, all that the, the, kind of where our, our pop music culture kind of came from. And it's really interesting to go and hear kind of the the di- like not just the origins but kind of the differences in like wow this this was like this was the craziest thing that came out ever at that time and it's just it's it, it's like a weird trip through history well that wow what a neat uh you know because for me to do that it, it's like i go you know uh you know i it, it was still all on the radio on oldie stations with you know, it was you know the Beach Boys and the Beatles, and it was yeah. it wasn't like you didn't have to hunt and hunt and peck to find out, you know, uh, origins. So you know the uh, you know the the, the the you know the girls singing groups, the you know the, uh, the the men singing groups, not you know not boy bands, but you know like the you know uh, the Imperials and all stuff like that. Like that yeah. was still all on those oldie stations. So and unlistenable. So yeah, <laughs> uh, to to go back to, for me to do that research was like what a slog that was. Whereas you, at least, yeah, what a joy you get to, you know, experience like the, that weird phase between '84 and '87, where everything was on the top, you know, charts. Back when the charts kind of were relevant, but, um, you know, you'd have Lionel Richie next to Def Leppard, next to Motley Crue, next to Tina Turner, and then there's Chicago. Like, what a weird yeah. top five that would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, and then and then you look at the top five today, and it's all. It's almost all of the same, and I'm just like, why can't we all coexist? Like, why can't I just it, – it, it kind of bumps me out, but it's also kind of like – it also kind of makes me think there's going to be some form of a, like, a resurgence because, I mean, every period has ups and downs in terms of where um, – like, inter- obviously in terms of what's popular and what's not, but I, I always – I, I at least keep a little bit of hope that something is going to happen where it's it's a very I guess a more diverse top top forty if that makes sense. But don't you think? And I and I don't know. I listen. I'm when it comes to this, I, I admit that I'm becoming the old man that doesn't understand the young people's music. <laughs> although I think there's a lot of great new stuff out there. And if you ask me for one band, I'll panic and not be able to come up with one. But <laughs> um, 
uh, although I enjoy the struts. Are you familiar with the struts? I'm enjoying them. I am, yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, I went through the phase with the Kaiser Chiefs and the bravery and, you know, fits in the tantrums I think are terrific and Doss I think is terrific. But anyhow, yeah. um, I think uh, as far as the charts go and stuff, I, I think the way that – and you know this. I'm not saying anything people don't know – is you don't have to leave your house anymore to go and buy an album. And so things don't grow and last. So I don't know if that resurgence can ever really come because it's just going to keep – happening the way it's happening uh, where people just download their music and they and they stay with what they like and they don't venture out and learn new things and uh and again i'm an old man that might be talking out of my ass and i might not know anything but i'm not (laughs) i don't know i don't know if it could happen yeah no i mean that's a good it's like it's kind of me trying to be optimistic and be like hey we can still do this sort of guys come back what are you doing (laughs) but no i i totally feel i mean technology has really made it like it's so interesting like when i would do some of these discography features i don't have to go to a record store anymore i can sit on an iphone take like an hour walk or an hour drive or whatever and i can power through full records without having right. to go and search and it's like at the at the convenience of it is nice but at the same time it's like i miss going into a store and like just just sitting and going through records for a few hours because it's like it's like therapy almost like it, it maybe but you know what, what a that's a great way to put it. It's, it's like therapy, and it's and again, at risk of sounding like the of uh, the old cliched man. Not at all. Not but, at all. You know, <laughs> the fact that you're that you had to invest your time in getting in your car and going to the record, even if it's you knew exactly what you wanted. Yeah. You know. You you know. Uh, I remember when I you know I was when I bought Chicago sixteen or uh, the next second album. It was like that was my day. It was like I'm going to get yep. up tomorrow, and I'm going to get uh, on my bike for for the for the knack. You know, I'm going to go to the record store. I'm going to spend a little time there, but I'm, my, I'm going to make a beeline to the next section, get the album, make sure I, I have it in my hand, and then walk around the record store, come home, put the record on, lay on my bed, and read the liner notes for 40 minutes that it takes for that record to play. Exactly. And that was the day. That was the day. It was a plan. Yeah. And now, like you say, the convenience, it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard, I might have heard of the struts. And then, just like you said, Hey, on my drive into work, I'll, I'll listen to that album and see if I like it. Nah, it didn't catch me. Well, maybe it didn't catch you because you weren't really paying attention to it because you're driving to work. You yep. have to stop at stoplights. you got to get mad at the guy going slow in the car, fast in the car. That guy just cut you off. Oh, the struts suck. No, they didn't. You just had a bad drive. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, yeah. it's it's so weird to go, like, right before this, I was looking at new at like kind of what came out this week. Um, sitting on my iPhone, and then all I had to do, and all you have to do if you have an Apple Music account, if you have a Spotify account, like or the the premium or uh, whatever it may be, all you have to do is just hit the add button. Little check mark comes up, and you have you quote unquote have the album. But it's like there was no effort to go and get this record. It's right. it's like yeah, it's just so weird um, because I'm still like even though I am. I guess I, even though I'm still in my 20s and the people are like, you don't know necessarily what it was like. I still I was different in the sense that as a kid where I, I would still go to a Best Buy or a Hot Topic or a Target or like wherever sold music. And it would be like, OK, I'm going to go and buy this record. This is going to be what I'm going to do. And then I would either play it or sing to it or whatever it was. So I it, it's just so I, I think technology has just gone so fast in terms of um just how it it's developed, if that makes sense. No, it does. And 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 what you just said too made me think of you know in having seen all of it happen over the you know the past you know few decades of 
the record store being the most important place and, and exciting place to buy music to then your best buys and your targets kind of putting those record stores out of business. Yeah. And and then now when you go to Best Buy or Target, like the Target near my house literally has an end cap of the new releases and then another end cap of the $5 CDs. Same. And that's it. Yep. That's it. It's scary. Like, it's weird. Like, did you um did you happen to see a documentary um called All Things Must Pass? It was with... Uh, oh, sure. Oh, yeah. The, uh, Colin Hanks's thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That, I mean, that was... That really started to get me thinking and I was like maybe I should go over to Rasputin or Streetlight Records or wherever wherever the stores are and um take a look at it. Well what's crazy is that here in Berkeley it's um the store like in within oh I'm on like the border of Oakland and Berkeley and um the there's a whole block with an Amoeba Records and a Rasputin Records. I don't know if you guys have Rasputin um in Los Angeles but um No no we have Amoeba of course. Yeah. Um uh, what was it that I saw? It it's massive. Like like I I I've never seen a store like this before, and it, it it's kind of like one of those moments. Like holy shit, this is amazing. <laughs> you can spend like you can spend yeah, hours it, in there. And you know, back in you know my day in the eighties, uh, and a little bit in the nineties, that was every record store. They were all like that, and, yeah. and the small ones were cool too. And uh, it was neat to go there, and and you know I. I managed record stores in the mid eighties and then I worked for MCA records in the late eighties before I quit to do stand up full time. Um, but it was, uh, exactly like that documentary. So, you know, we all be, like, I just got an invite to a, a guy's wedding that I worked with at the record store in 1985. Like we're still friends Wow! because it was, you know, there was a common uh, ground and, and even though we might've liked different bands, like at the time I hated Pink Floyd. And he loved Pink Floyd. Now I've now come around to realizing I'm an idiot and phenomenal. <laughs> but um, but he would, you know, the, the, the new Pink Floyd would come out, and the new uh, God, what I can't even think. Gino Vanelli would come out, and I'd be excited about Gino Vanelli, and he'd be excited about Pink Floyd. Um, but we'd listen to both of them in the record store, and you know, we we bonded over you know differences and likenesses, and I guess so we're friends to this day. So that that documentary captured that of. Working in a record store was really something neat and something special, and uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, uh, sadly it's not even an option for kids to experience how unless they go to these, like, you know, amoebas or whatever, and even there, I, the turnover seems to be very uh, fast. Yeah, um, I remember um, I, when I got into college, I... Uh, I I didn't realize because I went I went to school very close to my house I, I went I went to a university but it was very close to where I lived and all these kids that were coming in were from Hawaii they were from just weird little corners of the country that never um, had didn't had never been to a record store before and so I was kind of gonna be like I can show you the world like I, I kind of had that yeah I kind of had that little moment where I'm like yes I can take you and then I was like okay we'll just be in here and then like two hours later we're all walking out with bags of stuff and I'm like see I told you it's it's a lot of fun and they were always yep. like when do you want to go again and I'm like when I get more money so <laughs> right what is, that, that's well, you make a great point about that. I didn't even think like because you know I used to you know when I would travel around the country doing stand up you know basically when I lived out of my car you know one of the joys was going to the used record store or whatever and trying to find these old gems. Which by the way that's another thing that's gone. You don't have to do that with the click of a button on eBay or exactly. Amazon. You can find anything that you've been looking for. Um, but it was part of what I would do on the road to kill time and to you know be my hobby and 
now those record stores don't exist. So what a great point. Like if somebody's coming from a city that never saw a record store and they come to a Los Angeles or a, a Bay Area and they see these amoebas and go, oh, what the F is this? Yeah. What a great point. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about as well was you, uh, you said you worked for a record label. I, I was curious to know what your, I guess, your job entailed. Um, work or not for I'm sorry not for a record store for the record label what was it that um, yeah. you specifically um, I guess what were kind of your your duties your tasks um, I, I, I'm always very curious to hear kind of about people and and especially going from that and then making a transition to say I want to start stand-up full-time and very successfully and very well so might I add um, but um, I'm just it's more I guess about the story of um, how you got to where you are you know I was uh, I, like I said I was managing record stores in the mid-80s and um, I, I, got, I ended up managing a store in Naperville, Illinois, Orange's Records and Tapes. It was part of a big chain, along with JR's Music Shop. And for whatever reason, this store just didn't uh, – we were kind of across the street from Flipside, which was – Flipside was considered the hip chain into the Chicagoland area. And so I, I assumed Flipside was doing all the business because we weren't. And so I, I had nothing to do with my store except for, like, take time into the displays, you know, up on the wall of, you know, promoting the albums and, yeah. you know, making those look interesting and uh, unique. And my store was, you know, because of my OCD and the fact that I had nothing else to do was immaculately clean. And um, so I, I had a beautiful looking store and the, and, and the, the head of the MCA branch in Chicago, a guy named Jim Haldeman uh, would, he lived near my store. So he would come in once a week, mainly as I later found out to, so that he could write off leaving the, the office for the day. Um, and so he would come and visit my store, and he came in one time, and he said, boy, you know, you, you have the best-looking store I've ever seen, and it seems like you really are passionate about music. I have an opening. Uh, they're coming in from L.A. to interview for a new position to be the head of the jazz uh, department at MCA Chicago. And, you know, where you deal with nothing with, but the jazz records and, and jazz and blues and that sort of thing. And, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, at the time, New Age. And, you know, that would be your thing. And so I interviewed for that, and I wasn't right for that job. But I went and interviewed and uh, didn't get it. And the guy you know, called me up and he said, yeah, listen, they went with somebody else, uh, but I'm going to keep you in mind. Uh, I'm going to have an opening in the sales department soon, uh, and I'm not going to forget you. I was like, no, okay, great, whatever. Back to my record store and doing my life. And um, sure enough, about a month and a half later, he came into my record store and said, uh, hey, remember I told you I was going to have an opening in the sales department? Um it's yours. Ta-da. <laughs> and I said, well, let me give my two-week notice. And mainly because I was panicked. Like, I was like, you know, I was only, uh, God, what was it, 21 at the time, 20, maybe 22. And and I, and really, it was like, well, I, I probably should talk to my mom and dad about this and figure it out. That's a big, you know, I mean, that's a life change. I should figure out what I'm doing here. And and then he goes, two-week notice, I, I'm giving you the job. And, and he, he wasn't wrong. It was like, Working for a label was like the brass ring. It's like if you worked in a record store, you wanted to work for a label so you can get promos and go to concerts and hang out with rock stars and do everything that you thought was going to happen when you work for a label. So he's like, I'm offering you the job. What, you, what, what do you mean, two-week notice? And I was like, well, I, I got to tell my boss. And, and he picks up the phone and, and calls my boss and says, uh, hey, it's Jim Holden, and I'm here with Jim Pardo at uh, your Naperville store, and uh, I just hired him to work for me, so he's going to start tomorrow. And... That's how I started at MCA, and I was a sales rep, which meant that I went around, and I, I had one, I had that flip side chain, oddly enough. They were they were my big account, and then I had uh, an account in Wisconsin called uh, 
exclusive company which had like four or five stores and uh but for the most part i had like i i was the low man on the totem pole so i had all the ma and pa stores um and uh i would call them or go to them and say hey here's you know these here's the six new releases for this week you know what do you want and they and, and because i had the small stores they would say well give me five albums three cassettes and one cd that that tells you how long ago this was by the way no no so uh so that's basically what it was and i wasn't good at it because i was honest and if somebody would say well do you really think the little river band's gonna sell i would go no of course not it's a little river band in 1989 it's not gonna sell and you know so i wasn't good in that regard is that i really was i i wasn't just a salesman some of the other people could have easily just been selling vacuum cleaners as they were selling records like they were great at being salespeople. um and it was a weird job and, and it did come along with everything that i said of you know, hanging out with rock star. Like I got to meet Elton John twice because of it. Holy shit. And, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, he did a private concert for like 50 people and I was four inches away from him when he did wow. it. And it was like just him and a piano. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and all the free records and, and, you know, I wasn't into drugs or anything, but that, that certainly was available if I wanted it to be. Um, and it was, it was a neat job. I wasn't good at it. And it, it just so happened at the exact same time that I got that job is when I was like, you know, I really want to do stand-up. And so I kind of was doing my job, this great job that I wanted for years. I was doing it very half-assedly because I was more fo uh, focused on getting, uh, leaving and going and doing open mics and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it was the greatest. I mean, it, literally going to concerts. And, you know, uh, you know, one time I had to cover a show uh, – at one venue, and then I had to. They were the opening band, and then uh, Spyro Gyra, the jazz band, oddly enough, was the uh, headlining band at a different venue, an hour and a half away. And I had to watch the opening band at one, get in my car, race to the other one, and be there by the time Sir Spyro Gyra got off stage, so it could look like uh, a representative from MCA Records was there. And uh, so it was. A, it was a neat job. I wasn't great at it, um, but I'm. You know, I'm, obviously, I'm grateful I did it. Absolutely. Um, well, th that was actually the perfect transition because it's getting around to 9:35. Uh, so, uh, so we'll, oh, okay. we'll wrap this up. But what I wanted to say was um, that was actually the perfect transition into what I was going to ask about comedy. I mean, was there ever was there ever kind of a moment where it kind of it sparked for you that you were kind of like, I want to do stand up? Because I, I mean, I don't know if everybody has that one like that cinematic moment where they're like. Oh, I know what I want to do now. But was or was there like a time frame or something that maybe kind of triggered that for you in terms of what you wanted well, to? Well, I, I think it's you know in, in in talking back now you know because of Facebook and stuff like that and being able to communicate yeah. with people I grew up with. Apparently, it's something that like nobody's surprised I'm doing this. Like it was like <laughs> you know it's like well I'm a comedian now. Well, of course you are. That's what you were the funniest guy in school. You were hysterical. Of course you're a comedian. And so. Uh, and then I went to school for acting, and I did all that, you know, studied acting and did all that stuff, which, we, you know, may or may not have been a waste of my money in retrospect. But um, it, uh, when, I, when I turned 21, I did my first open mic, and then I stopped for, I stopped for two years. Uh, but obviously, you know, it's something I wanted to do because as soon as I turned 21 and I can go into a comedy club, uh, what I wanted to do was perform. I wanted to be, a, I, I wanted to be up there. Um, and then that went away, and then I had, and then I ended up getting that job at, at MCA, and then you know I did take that. That was important to me, and then, you know, like I said, then I kind of lost interest in that, and, and then started doing the open mics again, and uh, became very focused on that, and uh, and then eventually quit my day job and yeah, at MCA. Which, by the way, when I did that, the look on everybody's face because they had just seen me do a show, 
And I wasn't good yet. I was still, you know, an open <laughs> mic. I sucked. And, but I, I started in the boom where I could make money doing it. So when yeah. I gave, I gave my boss my notice, and then at that daily meeting, he came in. He said, "Well, Jim just gave his notice. He's going to quit and and do stand-up comedy full time." Like there, there was a quiet, there was a quiet in the room, like I've never heard in my life, because they they just they had to be thinking, "What the fuck is he talking about? Yeah. He sucks." Yeah. And they weren't wrong. I did suck, but <laughs> it's something I had to do. It was it wasn't a hobby. The stand-up wasn't a hobby. It was like I can't do anything but stand-up, and I have to jump completely into it. You know, good or bad, this is what I'm going to do. And luckily, it's you know, here I am today, and I'm talking to you. Definitely, yeah. Um, there was well, I, it's it's so funny you say that because I remember there was that one. There was some comment I can't remember. It was a podcast. I can't remember which one it was, but it was one of the hosts was talking about stand-up, and he said something. It was one of the, the bigger comedy podcasts, um, and it was something where he said, like, you could go out and you could bomb and you could hate yourself, but it's like you know that it's something you love. If Even after you go through that horrible bomb, you're, you, you, you're like, oh, I hate myself. I'm never going to do this. The next night, you're like, I got to get back up there. I got to do this again. And it, it, it's like one of those things that it's like, it, it can be applied to music. It can be applied to acting. It's like, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you just, like you said, have to do if you feel that you It really you is do. that. And it's, 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 it's like when people say to me, uh, boy, I've always wanted to try stand-up. It's like, mm, then you would have. Yeah, you know what I mean? it's exactly. Like, you just do it. It, it. It's a calling. It's not something – granted, hey, look, I'm not putting it down. If somebody does want to just try it and, you know, cross it off their uh, – the ever-clichéd bucket list and, you know, get that out of their life, I mean, I've got, I've got no problem with that. I'm not putting that person down. But if somebody's like – says, oh, I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian, it's like if you – no, you didn't. You didn't even try it once. So you can't tell me you always wanted to do. You know, it's like it's. I think it's in our bones. And some people have funny in their bones, and other people are just guys that somehow succeed there anyway. But uh, yeah, I think it's something we have to do. Exactly. Um, well, Jimmy, it, it was so great to talk to you. I I did. I, it was my honor. Yeah, it was so great to speak with you. I am. I love your podcast. I listened to. Um, before we did this, I listened to each of your records. You're you're fucking hilarious. I I love how personal you are with the crowd and how that how you really are are able to do that with an with an audience where you you kind of talk to everybody and really make it a personal experience. But but not like but but very funny and very. Um, uh, enjoyable and so I um, I uh, it was just an absolute pleasure I know I'd sound a little tongue-tied right now but um it was uh, wonderful to talk to you and you're playing in San Francisco on um, August 20th is that correct August 20th uh, at uh, two shows at Doc's lab uh, where we're, we're building it as a night of storytelling and crowd work so it, it'll speak to what you just kind of said it, it'll be even more crowd work than I usually do which is usually most of the show but uh, somehow uh, we're going to uh, do more of that, and I think I'm going to just like, ask you know requests from the audience on what stories they want to hear and that sort of thing, as opposed to just doing my. You, Doc's Lab gives you the ability to be a little looser uh, and more exper quote unquote experimental, and uh, so I think it's going to be more fun than a, a standard. Hey, please welcome Jimmy Pardo, starting show all the way to the end. Good night. Yeah. Whereas this might be a little more inclusive of 
uh, hey, Jimmy, tell the story about when uh, at the zoo, and then you know I'll t- I'll you know attempt to remember that story and tell it like that sort of thing. That's that's very unique. That's that's uh, that I think that's great. Um, well, everybody, I um, think it's gonna be fun. And, yeah, or it's gonna or it's gonna suck wad, and we're gonna you know <laughs> we live through that too. Who cares? I don't think it'll suck. Um, I'll make sure that I don't either. Uh, I'll make sure the ticket link um, and all that information is up in the podcast description, so everybody can go and check it out. Jimmy, it was awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, my honor. Thank you so much, Jared. I, uh, I'm going to hang up now. Uh, please don't think I'm being rude, but I'm going to run in my car. No Bye. worries. Talk to you later. Uh, bye-bye. Bye.